There was a barber and his wife, and she was beautiful. A foolish barber and his wife, she was his reason and his life, and she was beautiful. And she was virtuous, and he was naive. Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Review, the show where every week we pick something that we have nostalgia for. We then revisit and review it to find out whether or not our hindsight truly is 2020 or if we've just been wearing rose tinted glasses. I'm your host, Connor O'Keen, and I'm joined by my good friend and co host, Michael Gerbaz. Michael, how are you doing, dude? I'm doing pretty good, Connor, except uh, for the fact that I, I lost my appetite. <laughs> <laughs> I, I foolishly uh, was actually. Was eating dinner while watching this film. Oh no! <laughs> right at the beginning, and I forgot how disgusting the pies are. <laughs> yeah, 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 and how uh, how visceral the sound design on those pies is. They oh. really went to town on that on that pie sound design. Yeah. In this week's film, Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, the 2007 musical slasher film directed by Tim Burton as an adaptation of uh, Stephen Sondheim and Hugh Wheeler's Tony Award winning 1979 musical of the same name. Whoa! I didn't realize it was that old yeah yeah uh the film retells the victorian melodramatic tale of sweeney todd an english barber and serial killer who murders his customers with a straight razor with the help of his accomplice mrs lovett process their corpses into meat pies film stars johnny depp as the titular character and helena bonham carter as mrs lovett so i saw this movie in cinemas dude this was just on the on the cusp of uh let me think let me think I would have been 15. I would have just turned uh, 15 at, at, at this point. And so I saw it in cinemas. Uh, it was an MA rated movie. I'd seen the trailer. It looks gnarly. <laughs> I'd had a, a friend tell me, like, yeah, dude, it's really sick. You got to come see it. In fact, I'll come with you. <laughs> I remember you sitting I remember sitting in the theater, the opening, uh, like, the, the title sequence happening and being like, all right, fuck yeah, this looks cool. This looks wacky. This looks twisted. Uh, and then it cuts the boat and then they start singing. <laughs> And I, I remember looking at my friend in the, like, lit by the, you know, the cinema screen, looking at my friend like, what the fuck, cunt? <laughs> and, and him look at me with this quiet desperation in his eyes going, no, no, it's really good. Trust me, it's really good. Uh, and I tell you, by the end of the movie, I was won over. And not by the end of the movie, by like, honestly, like 15 minutes in, uh, I was really won over by this movie. I think I... There are there are qualities about the about the musical <clears throat> that I find kind of cringy <laughs> and really hard to get into, yep. hard to enjoy. Uh, but this movie, I think, deftly kind of sidesteps a lot of the uh, qualities of a, of a of a stage musical that I find kind of uh, not my kind of camp. You know, like yep. I like I like campy, but not my kind of campy. It, it, it veers into... Prefer the edgy uh, I, over cringy. <laughs> yeah, I really... I start to have flashbacks to, like, high school drama classes and the theatre kids, and I just... Oh, God, I regress so hard. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but this was this was an exception to the rule and um, was probably the first... Uh, in recent years, I found myself getting into some musicals more than others and finding stuff to really enjoy. I went and saw Wicked and had a blast with that. Really love the soundtrack and uh, Book of Mormon. I feel like that's kind of that's ever uh, that's a, a musical that that is designed for normies because fuck me dead, it's it's you know by the South Park dudes, <laughs> um, but it's no less a, a competent musical as we talked about on the on the South Park episode. That's it's something that they really excel at. They they do it with uh, a straight face. But yeah, gotten into a, a handful of other musicals. Really enjoyed Les Mis when I finally got around to watching it. The 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 play. Uh, also watched the movie and that was fine. It was, it was okay. Yeah, yeah. But I, I feel like, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. I don't know if you'd have any any thoughts on this. Um, I haven't done any research into it, but like I think this is a really fucking competent adaptation, film adaptation of a musical. And I feel like this kind of uh, maybe gave people the false impression that doing a cinematic adaptation of a, a emphasis on the word cinematic adaptation of a stage musical like led was easy. to Les Mis? Or? I think so, maybe, yeah. maybe. I think there are definitely parallels in terms of the approach between these two movies. But I I'd love to hear, yeah, where, where are you where are you coming yeah, to this thing I think from? like Les Mis is, uh, he is, uh, that, I forget that director's name, but yeah, he has a very like realistic 
uh, all of the all of the the vocals in Les Mis were like shot on set. It wasn't mm. like totally ADR'd like most musicals are. Mm-hmm. So he like yeah, yeah Tom, Tom Hooper was the director. That's it, Tom oh. Hooper. Yeah, he definitely likes to take that approach of the the super like real detailed. And then they looked at him doing Les Mis and went, he'd be a good fit for cats. <laughs> what a baffling, yeah. baffling choice that was. It's it's crazy. I don't think real real quick. I just want to say I don't think they they looked at the movie and when he'd he'd be a great uh, director for cats. I think they looked at the, the box like, office, the box office, <laughs> yeah. and the fucking uh, Golden Globe uh, nominations um, and and wins around that movie and went. That's lightning in a bottle. Yeah, that we can it feels like recapture. some some uh, movie exec thinking mm. and logic. Yeah. Over- uh, everything about that movie does. It's <laughs> it's fucking atrocious anyway so so tell me uh had I you seen this movie before yes what's your what's your experience with this? i was a big tim burton fan uh-huh big old tim burton fan i i still am but oh he's earlier stuff like sure i was surprised when i looked this up for the research didn't realize that this was post charlie and the chocolate factory because mm-hmm. as i watched it i was like i can see some qualities here that is like the start of the decline of Tim Burton's films, but it's not quite there to the mm. point of just ruining the whole experience. Mm-hmm. Like the opening credits with the really bad CGI meat grinder stuff <laughs> and the yeah. really like gross, bad looking blood gooping through the gears. I was mm. like, this looks like that really bad, sterile CGI chocolate making conveyor belt opening yeah. that's so yeah. like unappealing for something that's supposed to be these delicious chocolate bars. You're like, this is mm. fucking monochrome and depressing and crap. Like, <laughs> what the hell is this? C- contrast to the like opening of the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie of the um the Candyman throwing mm. lollies everywhere and it's all colourful yeah. and amazing. Yeah. And you're just like, and just oh, how man. rich and, and and wonderful all that stuff looks. So I could see those qualities in this. Uh, but when it gets to the actual production design and sets and costume and stuff, it's all really good. And yeah. then, yeah, when I looked it up, I was like, wait, this was like a couple of years after Charlie and Chocolate Factory? Mm-hmm. Funny. But um, so I got into it because of my sort of love for Tim Burton movies. It was sort of my like gateway into musicals as well. I think I might have watched, I'm not sure if I watched it earlier, was the the Phantom of the Opera film. Okay, yep. Which I really enjoyed uh, at the time, but it had that same sort of like dark, serious quality to it, or at least in my memory it did. I think every second song is like a, a stupid, colourful, Baz Luhrmann, like bullshit <laughs> musical number, and then every other yeah. song is this really dark, like depressing, like emotional mm, uh, number mm. from the f- from the Phantom that I really enjoyed. So I remember, like, it was recommended to me on both of those counts. I'm like, oh, you like the the darker, serious, uh, in tone musical? You should watch this. And then also my drama teacher was like, you'd like Les Mis if you like the soundtrack from Phantom of the Opera. Mm. And didn't mind that movie. It was like, it's all right. Yeah, it's fine. I, th- I think I don't have, I didn't um, watch that with any real attachment to the, the stage show. And so I was just kind of like, this is fine. Yeah. I like... I, I I don't think Russell Crowe is is all is is <laughs> that bad. Come on. Well, it's almost like that in this. You're like, Johnny eh, Depp's an okay singer. It's like I'm guessing that he, they're all supposed to be very like Cockney, gravelly. They're not supposed to be suddenly this like wonderful, acapella, yeah, yeah, like genius. Um, what's that thing called in the Phantom of the Opera? The um, I can't remember. But that's that is the quality that sort of I liked from Phantom of the Opera was that people definitely criticized in that as well was like Gerard Butler's singing performance. And yeah. I had listened to just soundtracks of Phantom of the Opera that I don't believe were attached to a musical. It was just like, hey, these songs are popular. We'll do a soundtrack for it. So they just got, you know, singers mm. and uh, Prima Donna. That's the thing that I was trying to think of the word. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> And there's the bit in that where the lady who's the prima donna, she's the she's like the one that's, you know, the, the famous one, the leading lady, and she sings her number and it's like fucking awful, like fingers down a chalkboard level of like, I can do the highest note. Like they're just like, look at my sheer capabilities of my diaphragm and, and vocals and all of that crap and it sounds sure. terrible. And yeah. then she gets pissed off. And the, the the main character, 
she gets to sing and it's like, oh, this is like a really beautiful, understated. She's not she's not doing it with that bravado, mm, mm. but it feels like it's coming from the heart. That's really nice. And then when I listen to the soundtrack of that, the vocalist that they picked to to voice the main female character performs all of those musical numbers like the prima donna does in the film. And I was like, yes. this is really unappealing. I don't like this. <laughs> so even yeah. though I found myself watching this movie this time and going, eh, Hannah Lana Bottom Carter and Johnny Depp's voice is eh, not quite what what you just sort of expect from a singer. Yeah. I do like that it feels grounded in, it's more about the emotional performance of the music. Yeah, totally. And and conveying that emotion, then I'm like you, I feel like a lot of those other musicals, the the more traditional, structured, classical ones, they weren't my cup of tea. I never really got into them. And I don't Mm. like the fact that in those movies, there's, there's a plot and there's this story and the characters are going through these arcs and then they seem to go, all right, now everybody stop and sing and be really happy yeah. and sing a musical number yeah, that's yeah, completely yeah. out of character of what you were feeling in the previous scene. And now mm. that the song's over, let's go back to this. Back to plot, yeah. I think I think that everything you're describing there and, and um, everything that works about those things that on paper might not work, like they've gotten, it's a musical, but instead of getting singers who can act, which is, I guess, what you, you go for in, in terms of like a stage show, they've gotten really good actors who just happen to be like competent singers yeah um competent enough and and they've gotten them to sing in a way that is conducive to the 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 tone of the piece that they're trying to go for and they it feels like they really considered the tone of this movie uh up front first and foremost they were like okay this this is not a this is not a stage show this is never going to be a stage show this is a movie this this is a, a let's make this cinematic so let's start from there so right off the bat where the stage show uh, I did a bit of a little bit of research um where the stage show starts with this ballad of Sweeney Todd number where they invite you to to witness the the ballad of Sweeney Todd and there's a big chorus and everyone's singing and stuff Tim Burton goes why are we singing about the just why are we inviting them to come watch the ballad of Sweeney Todd let's just show them the fuck they're already sitting they're already in the theatre we got their money we tricked them with a trailer that didn't indicate how much of a musical this was let's fucking get on with it you're like I don't need to see a trailer at the beginning of my movie when I've already sitting down to watch the movie exactly exactly so they really kind of considered what elements of the original wouldn't work for the tone of this and Stephen Sondheim has uh, said that was was involved in in reworking the soundtrack uh, and the the score to to be more suited to this. Him himself not being a big fan of movie musicals uh, because of what you just mentioned, the fact that they like the plot. It's if it's a if it's a movie, it, the plot has to keep going. It can't get bogged down by arbitrary, silly musical numbers out of out of nowhere. So they were all kind of really in favor of picking this thing apart and making their own thing that's that's simultaneously faithful. But but an, an adaptation that that does exactly what it says. It adapts mm. to the new to the different medium. Yeah, well, that's that's really fascinating. I did no research at all on the mm. musical. I didn't mm. know that it was based on a, a stage musical. But mm. obviously, from the beginning, you can tell that I was surprised at how old that musical was. I knew that it was like very popular and and was around enough for it to warrant a movie adaptation. But I didn't realize that how old it was. Without having any knowledge of what the stage show is, I also feel like this is a really good adaptation mm. to a movie uh, because, well, one, just like the end product is good. It's an enjoyable film. Mm. So they must have done something right if it turned out to be a good movie. Yeah. But then I can feel just like my mind can imagine how they might have adapted it, like the the set and the way that there's like the pie shop underneath and the, the barbershop up above mm. and all of mm. these elements. I'm kind of like picturing it in my mind. I'm like, I can imagine how they would have tried to do this as a stage set in a much more flatter 2D fashion. Yeah, yeah. Or how maybe some of the songs might have been performed differently to the stage because like stage acting, you're projecting out to the audience and you need to get mm. to that like back row audience member because he yep. needs to hear it and he needs to experience it the same way yeah, the, the person sh- the in the front row. The shit seats have got to have a good time as well. Exactly. <laughs> it's uh, unlike Nolan being like, if you're in the shit cinema, you're going to have a bad time with the cinema. <laughs> only go to yeah. an IMAX cinema if you actually want to experience yeah, don't this movie let, properly. Don't let <laughs> Nolan direct a stage, a stage <laughs> musical. No, fuck no. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he'll optimise it so only the people in the front row actually experience it properly. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, you, you could. they could take a bit more of a... The camera's really close, so we can sing this a bit 
softer or a bit differently and yeah, dial, yeah, yeah. dial all that of, in. All of that stuff is really working uh, in tandem. Like the, the they've decided to make this a, a much more kind of uh, personal and they've decided to make the performances much more restrained uh, overall so that even in the musical numbers, the songs that would usually be belted in some way or really hammed up really like big hands, jazz hands, you know, for the people in the back, they're sung in like hushed and, and urgent whispers and a kind of conversational manner. Um, the the comedic elements are kind of all but stripped away. There's some there's some opportunities for, for laughs in here, but it's not the kind of really, really wet, fucking broad comedic strokes that uh, a musical like this would have or, or that, that I... I shouldn't say that that um that I have a, a preconceived notion right, yep. and and not a completely uh, unfounded one that uh, musicals have <laughs> being very like yes and everyone be like oh that's so funny I fucking hate that shit um so in this like the the comedic elements being quite dry and and fitting Tim Burton's kind of wry sense of humor um I think really works really well and and then that's kind of that's delivered upon that's made good upon in the way they shoot it uh, yeah. because it's all it's all these close-ups and mid-shots and it feels really intimate. And then when the performances do kind of explode in, in certain numbers, that has an impact. I will have vengeance. I will have salvation. Instead of everyone's bellowing all the time when, when Sweeney finally uh, ha- has his number after Judge Turpin, you know, leaves, it, it has a, a sense of, of uh, grandeur to it. It's, it yeah, feels absolutely. earned, you know. Yeah, well, like you said it last week when we were t- when you were talking about this, that you felt it was a v- maybe very edgy, or it was around the time that you liked edgy things. I don't think mm. watching it that there's it's it's particularly edgy. I feel uh, melodramatic is the perfect term, and that that number when he. It's literally like a fantasy because we see all of those shots and he's kneeling on the ground with the razors up in the air and all that shit. And then it like cuts back to they're still in the room and he's like yes. doing that on the floor. And Helen Bottom Carter's like, well, that's all very well and good, but what are we going to do now? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, in his yeah, mind. Yeah. Um, mm. But I feel like it's a really good balance of, of melodrama. And like you said, I, I also have that preconceived notion that musicals tend to, it's like always at 100 for every single mm. number. And then you don't get any contrast. Uh, it's that Man of Steel sound design <laughs> problem. Yes. Of yeah. Explosions yeah. can only be so loud for so long, and then you just it just becomes muted mm. because that's what like the baseline is. Yeah, it, it seems like a perfect fit for for Tim Burton's style and sensibilities. Um, trying mm. to trying to like figuring out a reason I would say like that this movie is a really good Tim Burton film where Charlie Lee and the Chocolate Factory a couple of years prior is already like a major step down is hard like without just speculating thinking like this is a really good fit for him but also like was uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Roll Dahl yes yeah, yeah like Roll Dahl style stuff seems just up as Tim Burton's alley as as this sort of thing would. Mm, so yeah. it's hard to like say without just being like, oh, well, his heart was in this more than it was in the other. But I, yeah, I really like the approach it takes to the, the musical numbers where it's also broken up, like you sort of mentioned on re- reworking the, the soundtrack. I don't know if this is like this in the play, but it is also very similar to Les Mis, like you were saying it before. Les Mis, that was sort of a surprise when I sat down and I was like, Oh, so there's not musical numbers. They just sing all of their lines. Yeah, yeah. They're like they're having like singing, singing dialogue with each other. Mm. Uh, and this is not quite that. But whenever they do break out into a musical number, it's not a full piece of music. It's it's quite short, and then they keep going. Mm. And then mm. so some of those songs kind of have has a full version of the song, but it's because we come back to it like three or four times throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like that. It doesn't like bog it down for too long. No, it keeps the plot moving along. At, at quite a brisk pace. And, I mean, um, the play is around three hours and they managed to Ooh. condense that, yeah, into a like a just under two hours, really fucking thoroughly entertaining, like, cinematic experience. I think that's quite a feat. Especially, like, I, I looked at the runtime when I went to, to watch this and I was like, 
oi vey, 116 minutes, like, uh, you know, I hope this isn't a slog. And and I was watching and I was like, this is really good. Fuck, I'm probably only half an hour in though. And I, I looked at the timeline and it was bang on the hour mark. It, it flies by, dude. It's it's really, really, really good in that in that regard. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of people are like, oh, two hours is long for a movie. I, I don't normally feel that way. But if, uh, if you're talking about a musical, then I think, oh, yeah, maybe that does sound a bit long. But it flies yeah, by. Yeah. It's really entertaining. Um, I think, yeah, the humor... It's, I find it very funny, but it's, again, like you were saying, it, it suits Tim Burton's sort of wry, dark humour where mm. there's not straight up gags, but the uh, s- sort of like the joyousness that the gore is portrayed mm. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you're just like, you know, he's fucking, he loves it. He's like, yeah, look at all this fucking blood everywhere. And it's all this yes. practical blood that's great. It looks awesome. The montage of when he starts, um, he's he's made his little uh, chair that has the shoot, that shoots yes. him down. Like the montage of all of the dummies like falling down and like cracking their heads on oh, the stones so and stuff. Brutal. It's really brutal, but it's really, it's really funny in this dark. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, very where you're like, oh sweet, we figured out this <laughs> we'll solve both our problems. Two birds with one stone. I can kill all these dudes. You can bake them into pies. You'll have high quality meat that's not fucking green. <laughs> the meat's green before it's even going in the oven, like. <laughs> fucking Christ. Yeah, you've you've fallen at the first hurdle, love. Mm. Um yeah, that whole whole sequence is really wonderful. And then uh it, it continuing with them singing a bit like the uh reprise of the Mr. Pirelli's Miracle Elixir number, but now it's about the pies. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that, that whole sequence is really nice. I completely forgot. I didn't realise how funny it was. I forgot that Sasha Barrett Cohen was in this movie as Mr. Pirelli. Isn't he wonderful I, in even this? Even when they were doing the bit with the boy and he's barking and he's got the miracle elixir, I'd com- I, it didn't like ring a bell enough to be like, oh, yeah, I know what's coming. So when he yeah. steps out in his gigantic, you know, six foot whatever tall, <laughs> yeah. bright blue costume and doing his Italian accent is so fucking great. He really, really uh, like chews up the scenery in that oh, role. It's absolutely. fucking awesome. And then it's great to see that it's actually an act and he's got this British accent. Yeah, yeah. When he comes back in and he's, uh, what's he say? Um, Sweeney's like, you know, oh, Senor Pirelli. And he's like, call me Davey. <laughs> he's like, it's fucking perfect. Yeah, I think that that scene accomplishes a uh, a more comedic, lighthearter, colourful song in this musical without it being such a jarring experience like a Phantom of the Opera, like suddenly yes, here's all these colourful, yeah. bullshitty masquerade costumes and now let's go back into the dungeon where the Phantom has a fucking half-burnt mask yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't be- the- betray the, the tone that they've established and that they are trying to, you know, keep going throughout mm. this picture. And I think the same can be said for the the Lucy character, the the beggar woman, mm. you know, Sweeney's wife. I feel like even in the stage show, uh, again, I haven't I haven't seen it, but I have an inkling that that character would be so much more fucking grating to me in the stage show. I feel like it would be way more campy and way more lurid. There would be a lot more like, you know, oh, would you like to get under me skirt? <laughs> like it would be that kind of shit, and I would just like cringe so fucking hard. And I just, I, it would be made worse by the fact that I know every fucking cunt around me would be like, ah, it's so funny, <laughs> you know. Oh, it's camp. Fuck off. A bit of subtlety, please. Again, totally personal taste bias, but yeah. Without knowing what it's like in the play, I can tell that it works well in the film because. Uh, Sweeney's up there shaving a bloke as well and he's not Mm. taking on Pirelli's tone. He's not suddenly like shifting to what that character's like. It's like that's contained to a single character Mm. and like that works. It doesn't like throw me off. It keeps Mm -hmm. it consistent in the the story world for me, which I appreciate. And um, something on his costume, I was trying to, again, trying to like work out tangible reasons of like this is a good Tim Burton movie, that's a bad Tim Burton movie. Without mm-hmm. just being like, oh, I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and sure. I'm coming. I'm I'm coming up with this this theory. I think it's because uh, people talk about like you know Tim Burton's style and aesthetic being overdone and uh, like 
to the point where it was when it, when he first started doing it, it was like, oh wow, this is interesting. I haven't seen this before. And then mm. it's just a okay, you're doing the same thing over and over again. I don't know if it is necessarily just oh, you're just doing the same thing over and over again. I think that in his earlier films, there's more of a contrast to those styles. So I think that in Beetlejuice, you have the really dark, monochromatic, weird, impressionistic, horror-ish kind of stuff that he's known mm-hmm. for mixed with the really overly colourful, gross, super hyper-modern way that they like remodeled the house and it looks disgusting. Edward Scissorhands also has that hyper-colourful 60s suburban uh, aesthetic and then the character of Edward Scissorhands is your like monochromatic, looks like he comes out of um, Nightmare Before Christmas sort mm. of thing. And I think this has a good sort of in the way that we were, we were talking about James and the Giant Peach, which he didn't direct, but he produced that opening live action stuff already has that Tim Burton aesthetic. So when it goes mm. into the stop motion animation with that Tim Burton aesthetic, it's not as big of a leap. Yeah, sure. Or like his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where like inside the Chocolate Factory should be the really wow, out there, crazy design stuff. But yeah, when you look at sure. the house that he lives in, his aunts and uncles, yeah, it's this yeah. fucking like on a bloody 90, like 90 degree angle. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. When, the, the- when, when your everyday surroundings are like impressionistic, then going to the wacky, whaley, inflatable, arm flailing chocolate factory is, <laughs> is kind of, you go, oh, more of this. Hey, we got this at home, except it looks like shit. You yeah, know. where I think in this it's nice to see that when uh, what's his name? Who's the kid that's always running into? He's always running away or running from oh, buildings, oh, way um, too <laughs> enthusiastically shouting out about everything. Um, uh, uh, Anthony, Anthony. Yeah. So yeah. when he goes to that nicer part of town and and sees Joanna there, it's like, oh wait, no, these streets are clean and nice, and there's a little mm. bit more color there. And when we see the flashback of what happened to Todd. Um, with the judge being like, I like his wife. I think I'm going to fucking get the cops to beat the shit out of him and take him away and get him out of the picture. It's normal. It's like, no, this is normal. It looks fine. There's Mm. there's a lot of colour in the costumes. Pirelli has some colour in his costumes. Or we get that fantasy uh, Helena Bottom Carter when they're, when they're in the by the sea by the um, sea by, yeah. and her getting married to him and it's this whole idea of like oh our life will be better and therefore it will look like this and so we get mm. there's there's a there's actually a choice when to use that style and when not to yeah we can see feels... that the, the, all the upper class people that are rich and comfortable their mm. life looks normal and the same and then these people that are using rotten meat for pies are in this, like, ridiculously dark, black-and-white, monochromatic, Mm. impressionistic-looking shit. It's not just muted, like, the same as the sound design thing. If it's always that consistently, it's less interesting. Yeah, there's a bit of of contrast, and um, I think overall... Like the the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory remake, um, I haven't watched it in years, but I remember just feel, feeling like it it felt confused on some level, and maybe as though it was just going through the motions of being a Tim Burton film, or like it was an impression of a Tim Burton film, but it was directed <laughs> by Tim Burton, which was strange. Whereas this feels very sure, like uh, sure handed, and mm. there's a, a certainty, and it feels like it's they've they've gone in with a real intent for what they were trying to produce and they deliver on that in every way, um, for my taste at least. You mentioned like colour and stuff. I, I think a, a cool thing that this movie does is with its use of colour, the the grade for the first uh, like hour or so, basically uh, up until they have the the try the priest number where they mm. decide, all right, we're going to kill you know, people and bake them into pies and stuff. That's That signifies the end of Act 1 in the play. And then Act Two is where they come back and and you know business is kind of you know booming. The color grade for the film actually shifts on a bit of a dime there as well. Mm. Uh, it goes from really cold and and blue and almost monochromatic to having these warm kind of tones, and it becomes warmer and warmer and warmer as the film goes on uh, until it's it's blood red and orange and stuff at the end with the fire (laughs) with the fire and stuff and it's really effective and it 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 offers that contrast you were talking about in a way that is totally there if you're looking for it but while you're watching it it's not in your face it's not like look how arty this is it's subtle (laughs) you know the big right hook yeah exactly (laughs) um yeah i think it's i think it's a really cool uh way to to go about it and um 
I think speaking of that um, that final kind of act act one number, the uh, try the priest, where there's the shot of them kind of leaning on the on opposite sides of the window as they're looking out, and one of them's got the uh, sorry, Helena's got the rolling pin, yep. and Johnny Depp's got the meat cleaver, and it's it's kind of dollying back. Uh, that's a, a kind of iconic pose from the play that mm-hmm. fits really comfortably in this context. It feels really natural, and it feels like uh, it, it doesn't suddenly feel like they're bursting into song, even though they are. Mm. I think it manages to really walk this fine line of, of subtlety in a genre that is not subtle <laughs> ordinarily, you know. That was another thing that I could like imagine that like a lot of the poses that they make, I can imagine that this is an iconic sort of pose that they might have mm. from the play. Obviously, he's going to be looking, holding his razor up above his head and, and staring at the blade quite a lot yes. in the play, yes. but they, they find ways to... They pick and choose their moments here and it pays off. And you can go in with a close-up and you can see it from a different angle. It doesn't just have to be like, look at how high my arm is raised above my head holding this blade because the, yes. the fucker in the back room has back row has to see it. Yeah, you can see the subtleties in the performance. Um, I think uh, listening to some interviews and stuff, Elena Bonham Carter said that like they kept kind of pulling things back and back and back in terms of re- performance, making it more and more restrained, where they were like, no, no, don't use your hands. Don't act with your hands in this. Don't gesticulate, just use your fucking eyebrows, use your face, you know. <laughs> it's a close-up. Uh, and I think it's to great effect uh, yeah. for both for both characters um, or for both lead characters and for all of the performances, really. I think, yeah, you get some interesting, iconic poses but without them being on the nose and without losing, obviously, his blades and that there's a whole song about them being his friends mm. and we get to see when it's like it's clean and it's like mirror finish silver and then when it's covered with blood those are all really good like motifs and themes that you don't want to yeah. lose by com- com- completely removing them but it's a way to tone them down and, and make them a bit more subtle and palatable yeah. for yeah. a movie and going kind audience. of yeah totally and a way to do things with that story and with those characters and with those um motifs that you couldn't do in a stage play you ta- you can't fucking go around to everyone in the audience and go See that silver baby? Look See how that. shiny that is. Like, and then later <laughs> I'll be like, now notice it's covered in blood. <laughs> Clever that. Like, it's it's really really cool that they use the best qualities of this medium to enhance the best qualities of the other uh, in in adapting one to the other. I think it's cool too. Like, I had some inklings going into this, watching it for the for the. I think this is probably my third time watching it. Uh, watching it this time, there were some things in there where I was like. I can totally see what this piece of music would have been used for in the stage play. And I think the best example of that is the uh, piece of music that plays when it transitions from the docks to uh, Mrs. Lovett's pie shop for the first time. Mm. And that like, that shit kicks in. And I was like, I can totally hear like or, or visualize them like spinning the sets around and, and people running around moving shit. That interpretive kind of like movement yes. on the stage of like, we're transforming the space. Yes, like, yes. This is yep, a really totally. surreal way of getting that across. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's communicated really well, but again, ad- adapted to this format where you go, ah, oh, I get I get what they're doing here. And sure enough, I looked it up and that that piece of music was used as like a trans uh, transitionary uh, piece to get from like one set to another yeah, sort nice. of thing. I, I think that's that's really cool that they managed to put these things in the movie so that the audience will kind of instinctively you know intuit these these things. Mm, it is cool. That that scene though visually is one of the the only like gripes that I have really uh, in terms. I, I, I was going to say. Uh, visually, it's it's quite ugly. It's very like the ugly. The CG and the 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 kind of it's the, the CG C- camera movements. Yeah, uh, it's, are, it's are like are a hopefully digital environment, digital camera movement, and they've got all of these like blue screened actors. So mm. they're like these. They look like little paper cutouts as the camera flies past them because yeah, you can't you can't do it that. It looks like, like a video game sequence. Like it looks like a a, a video game cinematic. Like your perspective of a person in a frame doesn't shift if the zoo if you like zoom in, but mm. if your camera is actually dollying past someone, you you see a different angle of them as a, as the camera passes by. So because mm. it's staying completely flat and we're going from like an ultra wide of that character zooming past their shoulder down the street, it it's really off, and it that stuff visually looks like the opening credits. Yes, yeah. It's like when I was sitting down, I was like, I hope that 
I hope this is just the opening credits and I'll and I'll be fine. And then that happens and I was like, oh, that's a bit. Yeah, yeah. And it's not too egregious anywhere else in the film. Well, I don't think it really happens anywhere else There's in the movie. There's a couple of I'm, shots I'm trying to remember. where, uh, he, as, he, as he likes to, He's holding up his blade. He's looking out the window. <laughs> As he is um, wont to do. Oh, and yeah, there's a pulls shot. Back. It yeah, pulls out, yeah. out, out through the glass. <laughs> and you get that. <laughs> with that bit of music, yeah. Yeah, that very Beauty and the Beast. Uh, that reminds me of that that music from um, uh, yeah. from that. Um, like the pane of glass looks all digital and almost like an illustration. And then it like zooms out and you get London and it's all CG and funny looking. And I feel like it feels kind of hit neither here nor there. If they wanted to go really uh, stylistic with it, you could have the sets of, of all the interiors be real sets. And when we see exterior London, there could be like a model or something, like a Thomas the mm. Tank Engine, like tilt shift. Mm. And mm. then then it would look like a diorama of like, oh, these, these little guys look like cardboard cutouts when we zoom out to see the overall city because it, sort of has that perspective of a diorama. And mm. I don't think I would mind that much, but because it just, because it isn't consistent or it's not, it's not present enough to feel like a conscious choice, it just comes off as kind of bad visual effects. I, I think instead it comes- Instead of a stylistic choice. For me, it feels like a, a budgetary thing more than anything. Like I think it's cheaper to do a CGI city than, you know, build one. And the budget oh, for, for this sure. movie was, was $50 million. Especially when it's uh, like a period. Yes. London. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, like, the rest of the sets and all the set design and stuff looks fantastic. I really uh, especially adore the the upstairs oh, yes. um, area. His barbershop set is fucking gorgeous. With the, the way they shoot wall it. with the window and on it. And the window. It's awesome. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, and they really use, uh, they utilise that space to really great effect consistently throughout this, this picture. Like, the uh, it, it looks equally impressive during the day with that kind of cold blue light as it does at night with this kind of dark grey uh, night sky uh, out of it and, and you know, a, a, a lantern in the corner. Like, it's it's really visually appealing. Yeah, I love all the sets and then the costumes um, when uh, we go inside the judge's house at the beginning mm. and it's the whole, like, oh, look at all of these, like, bookshelves and you got those, like, beautiful armchairs in front of the fire and you've got your like mm. whiskey decanter it's uh it's really it's all really beautiful but yeah it's just i don't i don't know like i think 50 million dollars that's that's a lot of money you can make you can make the exterior stuff a little bit better or yeah. if it doesn't look that good then you have to look at it and go okay maybe we can't do this like sprawling uh hyperlapse shot throughout the, the the streets of london to get to sure sure it's like okay if you can't do it well then you then know, maybe, maybe you can't do think it. of it an alternative even if it was just like a fucking shitty looking map of london that mm. was on paper and you did the old indiana jones dotted line through the streets or something whiz bang quickly with a with the musical track something that mm. doesn't betray the aesthetic of the rest of it as much yeah yeah sure yeah that's uh, that's a fair that's a fair point i think that's the only thing that visually um and kind of tonally i found really pulling me out of the experience the rest of the time i'm really really on board yeah i think it's glaring because the all of the gore is there's like no cgi practically it's um, yeah there's a bit of that digital uh stuff going on when helena bottom carter gets thrown in the furnace and all of her hair's burning away and stuff yeah <laughs> uh but it's not it doesn't look that those shots don't look too bad but no, whenever it he's, looks pretty gnarly whenever he's slashing people's throats open like the love and care of those practical when they've got a like the prosthetics that they've got on those dudes necks and mm. the choice to do like digital blood doesn't look very good uh at the time to- at that time they can't Mm. do it nearly as as accurately as the 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 detail that we get out of that realistic blood mm. spurting out covering all the people's like white clothing and staining it yeah yeah and i like that we too get uh, i mean pretty much all of the kills are you know throat slashing but they managed to get a decent uh amount of variances on yeah, that yeah. like there's some really clean ones there's some really gnarly ones and then finally the judge turpin oh, kill yeah. is just visceral and that like <laughs> because like up until that point uh for the most part johnny depp's performance has been so subdued and restrained when he's finally like and just stabs him in the throat he's like yes boys it's, it's tough. really gnarly that it's like all the way in 
down to the mm. handle mm. and he does it multiple mm. times and then he's just sort of wriggling it around in there. It's yeah, really, yeah, really yeah. gross. And, and 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 Alan Rickman's like still alive through all this shit and then finally yeah. like slices it. It's it's really, really a cool uh, final antagonist kill, I guess. Uh, especially after, I, I think it's kind of, because T- Timothy Spall's performances Beetle Bamford is is really good as well he's mm. particularly fucking slimy but I like that he's he's so inconsequential like he's such he's that such a fucking his kill. rat exactly you yeah. just see his fucking head hit the concrete and oh, explode like that's awesome. probably the best splatter um of the of the movie in terms yeah. of going through the shoots and I think too the the final kill uh of uh, Sweeney at the at the hands of Tobias opting for that really clean slash and then it just gushing like fountains and fountains yeah. but not spraying like just dr- like falling out of yeah, his neck like all down down the uh, down Lucy's face and it's it's so thick and the the consistency and the color it, it almost looks like paint like it yeah it looks it's like got this a, it's work got like of art. a paler look to it than yeah like it, your it honestly dark, deep it, reds. It reminds me of like the blood uh, used in like the uh, in Dario Dario Argento's old flicks like Suspiria and and stuff like that. It feels very giallo in in its approach. There, it's it's yeah I- uh, larger than life. It's it's uh, a spectacle and it's it's this like Technicolor nightmare blood. <laughs> yeah, you know? it, it also reminds me of those seventies um, George Romero colored mm. blood in the original yep. Dawn of the Dead. Yep, for sure. Yeah, it's got that. I think it helps because it's this like anti-hero story that we're like along for the ride and like rooting for him. Mm. It's it's nice to have it be this different color that's a bit more. I don't know that it's like it somehow makes it nicer for you to clap and be like, yeah, get him. I'm like, yeah, I- I'm happy that you're doing this. Yeah, totally. And the way it just keeps pouring out and pouring out on, on that final shot of them on the floor, and it's it's like spreading out it's pulling out it's it's far reaching by the time that the shot finishes uh feels kind of appropriate that he's this he's our, our larger than life kind of anti-hero and that he has this inhuman amount of blood in him yeah you know or seemingly anyway compared to the rest yeah i think it's it does a really good job of we're rooting for him the whole time it's this really dark humorous thing of them looking out the window and being like try the priest and stuff is really funny we're, we're along for the ride and we're okay with it and we're like yeah this is good i like this um and being able to and shift it on its head at the end and have the the, the tragedy of him killing his wife because he didn't realize that that's who the old lady was that she didn't actually die yeah is really yeah. good and not getting that like that reuniting with his daughter moment of mm. like what I imagined originally was there was going to be the like, oh, she's like terrified of him because he's this monster and him trying to be like, oh, no, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't want you to see me like this. Uh, yeah, I'm actually yeah. your father. I was helping you get like get out of the asylum. It's none of that. Yeah. He doesn't even get to have the reunion. <laughs> no. Well, and I it's think like, it's no, it's, it's OK. He doesn't deserve that. Like when we, no, when we see it. what it is at the end, you're like, no, he is a monster. And it's really appropriate that the little kid is like, I think at times when. Uh, there's a few moments when Sweeney Todd's going to kill the kid, and Helena Bottom Carter's like, "No, nah, let's, 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 let's not. I wanted to hire someone." And he's like, "Fine, I won't kill the kid." And then when the mm. kid finally finds out, and she's really upset, and locks him downstairs, mm. and tells him because it's like, "Oh, now we have to kill him." Unfortunately, and she's not happy about it. They don't want to get caught, so they're like, "This is necessary." And me watching along, I'm like, "No, this is necessary. He has to kill a child. <laughs> That's okay because yeah. he's the main gotta character. We want him to do, succeed." Baby. We don't want him yeah, to not yeah. succeed, so he has to kill exactly. the kid. But then when exactly. they turn it around and it's like, oh, he's the one that gets to kill Todd. And after he realises what he's done and that his wife is actually there the whole time, mm. it's really it's really fitting and it's really satisfying. Yeah, totally. Well, it's like by that point he's succeeded. What we want to see him succeed in is killing the judge. And by that point he's done that. And then we've kind of, they, they, they twist it at the, at the last minute. We go, oh, wait, she's a fucking monster He's turned like he has become a monster. Like he is irredeemable at this point. Yeah, he he absolutely has to die. But we've also uh, like had the kind of the journey with him and gotten to revel in his you know his revenge story as yeah, well. Absolutely, I think that's the thing. His goal isn't to save his daughter. The goal is revenge. 
So we get, yeah, because as gets, far as he knows, yeah, he gets yeah. that bloody revenge, and he doesn't get that that reuniting with his daughter. And we, as the audience, don't get to see her and uh, what's his name's story conclude. Like, no, yeah, was I, that was something I'd for forgotten her. as well. Yeah, I'd forgotten that it, it it ends on that last shot that you talked about with all the blood, mm. and then it's just to credits. But we can we know that it's like she's out, she's safe. The judge is dead. She's not going to go back to the asylum. Mm. Nearly got murdered by Todd. <laughs> which would have been a lot. But then again, we get that already with him unknowingly murdering his own wife. So mm. it would I think it would be a bit much if he unknowingly murdered his daughter and his wife yeah, like back yeah. to back. Yeah. And I think the like the the daughter even like we we can assume or we can we can hope for the best for for uh Joanna and, and Anthony, but uh I mean Joanna says before Anthony leaves, like, the ghosts don't leave. Like you know, I think it's a it's a happy enough ending for it's them. It's a happy enough ending, but I don't under, think it. It's like I don't we think know, it betrays the the kind of grim no, spirit of the of the picture. No, not at all. But yeah, also just um, quickly when you're talking about the different ways that they get like change up the, the the throat slices, I love the cleanness of when Todd slices his wife's throat open. Yes, just that one movement. Really and then quick it just movement. Fountain. Almost yep, anime yep. style of like a, a brief like pause <laughs> of nothing. And yeah, then just this through. really even It's this red curtain that just oh. descends down her neck. Yeah. And, and then it's and it's fucking brutal beautiful. too. It's it's somehow like more or or it's it's just as hard to watch when he hits the pedal and she goes down feet first. Oh yeah. Into the thing, then then some people, yeah. It's weird that they go down like most people go down head first, and hers. Yeah, and you kind of assume, brutal. all right, well, if they weren't already dead, then that that bonk on the noggin's going to do it. Whereas you kind of go, oh, she might have still been bleeding out, and that would have just fucking broken her legs. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, she she cops it pretty bad. Feels like her blood running down her neck is like a darker red than the rest. Mm. It might just be the lighting of the scene. Mm. No, it definitely, it definitely pops uh, against the it, yeah, the very... look of of the rest of that scene for sure, and that's that's something I, t- I really like that's consistent throughout the the movie in terms of color and stuff. Is even when it's got the kind of cold monochromatic look uh, earlier on. Once the blood comes in, it's this vivid, vivid red that stands out against everything else. Yeah, uh, it's really gorgeous. Yeah, I really enjoyed coming back to this movie, dude. I'm I think it holds up really fucking well. I I think I'll watch it again soon i i had a ball with it and i'd I'd really i i was really struck by just how differently it was shot to how i remember it being shot or how i uh had this assumption in my head that oh it's a musical i don't remember it that well but it's a musical so surely it's going to be you know wide shots out the wazoo (laughs) but no it's really intimate and and personal and um uh, i think it's all the more affecting for it so uh, i'm excited to come back to this and i think hey it, it it did uh Let's let's have a look at the reception. It's got an eighty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a fucking that's a solid effort. And it was uh, nominated for a bunch of awards. It won a bunch of awards. It won an Academy Award for Best Art Direction, which well fucking deserved. A, well deserved. And uh, hey, it won an MTV Movie Award for Best Villain. So Sick. you know, <laughs> it's that's doing that something true right. Mark of quality is those MTV <laughs> that's Movie it, Awards. The MTV Movie Awards. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Really cool. Really cool adaptation, and a really cool like look at how a a piece and how these creatives have managed to adapt to the 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 new medium and bring the best bring the best of the old medium into this one and and kind of make those elements work yeah. in tandem. Absolutely, it's, it's very cohesive. I feel the same, and yeah, I I think also one of my favorite elements watching it again was the. Yeah, the cinematography and all mm. of the the blocking and staging of the scenes is really really nice. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that it hasn't uh, aged. Yeah, me day. too. God damn, uh, it's it's not often that I watch something that I was a, a real big fan of at 15 as an edgy teenager. You know, for a, as an edgy teenager, <laughs> uh, that's this melodramatic, and you know, find myself going, "No, oh, that was still good." We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support us, the best thing you can do for us at this point is share the podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, rating and reviewing is also incredibly helpful. And we, of course, do have a Patreon, which we have some cool stuff in the works for. So Ooh, very you can head over to that. Coming soon. Yeah, for as little as $3 a month, you can support us. Um, now in Australian know- dollars. Now in Australian dollars. That's right. So same same price tiers, but you're getting paid. A, you're getting charged Australian dollars, not US dollars. So it's technically nice. cheaper. 
than Can ever US before. Can US listeners uh, pay in Australian dollars as well? Or I'm not sure how that works. Okay, yeah, but it would I don't be know. a bargain for them because they'd say yeah, three dollars, totally. and then it would be like, oh, that's not even three dollars for me. <laughs> yeah, it's like half that. Uh, We'd love to know what you thought of this week's episode or any episode. In fact, you can tweet us at Rose Tint Review or hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at Rose Tinted Review and tell us. I want to know mm. how much money it would take for you to eat one of those pies. The What, the human pies or the... No, the... no, no. Human pies, they, they look delicious. That's fine. You, you would happily <laughs> yeah, yeah, eat those yeah. for free. The, uh-huh. the gross green with the cockroaches in them pies. The grody, yeah, the grody pies. With grody um, sound design pies. Oh, man. Um... I, I couldn't put a price on that to be honest. I'd have to. Someone would have to make me an offer, and I'd I'd have to. You need to go, see the cash know, higher or higher in the, in the suitcase. You need to know what yes. actually is there, and it's exactly. Real. Yeah, I'd have to check all the bills, make sure it's not just a layer of you know of of real money, and oh. then a bunch of prints underneath. I'd also like to know, uh, in addition to that, if you were to have one of the human pies, which human pie would you want? Oh, would you want? Would you want Vicar? Would you want Grocer? Would you want Priest? Whatever that. I think guy they. Was. I think they make an appealing. What's that, Danny? Uh, they, what does she call him? The fop, the fop. Yeah, I think I think the fop is uh, is a good is a good go, good choice. Uh, next episode, dude. What are we What are we hitting up? How are you following this up? Oh, I'm torn. I'm torn on what to follow it up with. Uh, there's there's some other Tim Burton movies I'd like to go back and visit, but I was thinking maybe I'm quite curious. Um, there's there's a there's a film that I haven't watched in quite a long time that's kind of topical because uh, the sequel just came out, Coming to America Two. Oh, okay. And I was, I'm very curious to go back and see how the original holds up because I think I haven't seen it in like 15 to 20 years. Dude, total coincidence, but I watched that movie for the first time, I think, late last year. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Let's, right. let's do it Fuck then. Yeah. All right, awesome. Let's, let's, let's come to America, but come <laughs> to America. The word two, not the number. The number the, give us 10 years and maybe we'll do the sequel. <laughs> Or maybe we won't based on the Rotten Tomato reviews. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. Uh, So if you'd like to follow along, we recommend you watch Coming to America. Again, the first one. Maybe not the second one. We don't know. Uh, For all that added context. Is it actually called, is the sequel actually called like Coming Number Two America? Yes. Oh, my God. I thought it was just called Coming to America Two. No, that's the level of originality that we're working with here, dude. They had like (laughs) 20-something years to think up a uh-huh. sequel name and they couldn't, they couldn't <laughs> that was the best they had no they settled on that 20 years ago and and were like doesn't get better than that the number is in the title dude i think that's genius so join us next time where we will find out whether or not our hindsight truly is 2020 or if we've just been wearing rose tinted glasses Steve.